0: Maggie Beatty Roberts and I'm Kate Roberts. We're really excited about today's episode but just a quick note before we start. This season of Beyond the Letters was recorded before the coronavirus reached the United States and impacted so many areas of our lives including education. Today's episode contains some pre-coronavirus thinking that can still be effective in your educational spaces.
1: We should also note it was recorded before the protests that have thankfully changed so much of our national dialogue on race. We strive to check our privilege during these conversations and we are in constant motion to become better allies. Here it be on the letters. Black lives matter. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Letters. My name is Kate Roberts. And I'm Maggie Beatty Roberts. And we are thrilled to be speaking today with Dr. Dana Stahoviak. Dana is an associate professor of curriculum and instruction in the Watson College of Education at University of North Carolina, Wilmington, and is also the director of the Gender Studies and Research Center there. Dana has been a classroom teacher, literacy coach, and consultant, and is a leading voice in social justice and equity education. She's written articles, offered keynotes, run groups, and has generally committed her whole professional life to leveling the field for all youth and teachers. And we are thrilled and honored to be talking to her today. Welcome, Dana. Thanks for having me. That was a really nice introduction. Oh, Yay! Yeah, I'm so excited that you're here.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. How lucky are we?
1: So we usually start off the podcast with um, a little bit of the of the personal of getting to know a little bit about you and while we wish we had the time in the podcast to hear your life story. We have to whittle that down, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, you yeah, we've generally framed it as, is there a moment, kind of a critical moment for you in your life, either as a person, as an educator, that you feel like was one of those moments where you felt like you had to live differently, live more actively as a, as a queer educator?
2: Yeah, so... Um- I'm really sad you don't want my life story. It's pretty amazing. I do um, want it. <laughs> um, so there's actually three turning points in my story that kind of I'll go over them really quickly. Mm-hmm. So the first one, I was teaching fourth grade, and I was very, I identify as non-binary trans or genderqueer, and I was very femme mm-hmm. at the time, so that was awkward for everybody, um, <laughs> especially me, but I was teaching in a classroom where a student, uh, a young girl came out, uh, was telling everybody that she was gay and people were kind of pushing that under the rug. Oh no, that's not what it is. And she kind of went downhill as a student. And it's at that moment, I realized if she had something in her life that she could see was happy and positive and healthy and out, Mm -hmm. then maybe it might be a little bit different. And so it was kind of that first moment of, wait, I need to be here for that student. Um, And then a second moment is... I got fired for being gay when I was very closeted. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody saw me out not in school Mm -hmm. and uh, went back to the school board and Mm. let them know. And so that was another, well, shoot, it doesn't matter. Um, I just should be me. Um, and the third moment in my life was when I learned what it meant to be genderqueer. And at that moment, that's when I decided not only to be out as queer, but also to be out as non-binary trans or gender queer, and cut my hair off and started to dress in ways that made me feel comfortable, which is more masculine of center. So there, those were kind of the three turning points. Then I realized that that when I was visible... Not only did I feel more comfortable, but people started to come to me and confide in me and we were able to form collective uh, coalitions and support groups. And so I felt like all of those things led up to, yeah, I just need to be me and be out loud Mm. and be okay with that.
0: When you learned about the term genderqueer, right, or you saw something that you were like, yes, can you say a little bit more about that? Mm.
2: I well it was a friend of mine who uh, he was a trans man and he said I don't want to be the last gender queer standing and I was like I get that <laughs> but I had no idea what it meant so I like went home and googled it and yeah. I was like, gender queer uh, what is it and when I found it out I started sobbing mm. yeah. it fit me very mm-hmm. very well um and as I've As i've kind of learned new terminology and as new terminology has kind of come out in the mainstream uh, i've chosen to identify as non-binary trans uh partly because i feel like that does very much fit me but it's also easier to explain to people what non-binary trans is versus gender queer Mm -hmm. so i'll often say that i'm non-binary gender queer Mm -hmm. um, or just non-binary trans and keep on walking Mm -hmm. uh, but Either one of those works for me, but it definitely, I have come into my own and become the person I am so much because of those identity markers. They've been really life changing for me. That's amazing.
1: It's like the three moments, it's almost like, because it's so scary to come out for most of us, right? And Mm -hmm. often we find reasons not to for a while if we can, Mm -hmm. right? And those three moments coming together that like there's one moment of seeing the need and. A student like someone in your care right of being like oh if i were able to be something different that kid might have a better time then there's the well it doesn't matter anyway because the homophobia is going to find me mm. whether i'm closeted or not right so that that excuse like my own safety that that yep. reason gets checked off right. And then there's the language that can call us into being, the community that allows us to be who we
2: are, right? Yeah, and I think, too, it was it was two comings out for, coming yeah. outs for me, yeah. right? Um, yep. Because I had to come out as queer and then I came out as trans. Yeah. And right. those were two very different yeah. things. Yeah. I could hide queer yeah. when I wanted to. And when I walk into a room yeah. now, I can't hide trans and I yeah. can't hide queer. Yeah. That's um, right. And it's a little terrifying sometimes, but for mm-hmm. the most part, I'd rather deal with that than mm-hmm. be closeted. Mm-hmm.
0: When I like, too, like even just framing... Like walking into a room and coming out. I think sometimes the narrative around coming out is that you do it once mm. and then you're out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but just, no, right? Like you saying, like every time I walk into a room, mm-hmm. like uh, it is it is an ongoing mm-hmm. conversation, whether it is verbal or not, that I'm having with the world mm. at all yes. times and. I mean, I could think about that for a mm-hmm. good long time in terms of, you know, helping young people have that initial coming mm. out moment. Mm. But then what does it mean to to live your coming out? And also too, how language in a way liberated you. And as our language evolves, you know, we have terms today that we didn't have, I don't know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that it calls more of us, into our own
1: being because that language evolves. Mm -hmm. So the next thing (laughs) is thinking a little bit about, given that life experience and given, obviously, what you've done with that life experience to help young people, to help teachers. You know, we think about this podcast as sort of being as much of a support to people who want to do more, right, but aren't quite sure how to start doing more. You know, their hearts are in the right place, their heads are in the right place but now it's time to move towards action. And so in your experience, what are some things that you think are the most helpful that educators can just do to make things better for queer youth, queer educators?
2: So I there's lots of things that I've especially advocated in the past and still still advocate. And one of the things that I have been really working on, again, come, stemming from things that I've needed and in, in, as myself and then within my own queer community, my personal community is creating communities of care mm-hmm. um, in focusing on healing-centered engagement. And so I've come to this because I've gotten a little exhausted with like being asked to do Trans 101 <laughs> presentations yeah. that yep. they're really helpful and yeah. I'm happy to do it, but I wrote an article, go read it and then yep. let's do something else. Um, I, the work needs to happen and I'm, I'm really appreciative that people are reaching out and doing that work. So I don't want that to right. stop. But I also think I've seen an urgency for something bigger, something that is hits us a little bit more meaningfully, but that hits students more than it does us as educators. Mm-hmm. So when I think of healing-centered engagement and creating communities of care, we really are putting the focus on making sure our students feel cared for and feel loved, that they can create that within themselves and that others can create spaces or make space for them. In in caring and loving ways, and so that's kind of been my focus lately is Mm -hmm. thinking about how can I how can we talk to teachers about you know there's all this talk about trauma informed education which I think is really really fantastic. Um, Sean Ginwright actually came up with or has developed healing centered engagement which I really I like. It's an extension of trauma informed Mm -hmm. care in that it doesn't center the trauma, mm. it centers the individual mm. and not what happened to them, that mm-hmm. this is just their story mm-hmm. and they, then let's look, look at the assets That's that right. come with that versus yep. the deficits that come with mm-hmm. that. Um, and it's recognizing that our, our struggles and our healing are collective, mm. right? And so thinking about the ways in which I, for example, as a white person can do some really mm-hmm. terrible racist things and not even realize it, no matter how much mm-hmm. of an anti-racist mm-hmm. educator I am, just recognizing and owning that I'm a part of that story Mm -hmm. for someone that I've done something wrong, but then having the compassion within myself to go, all right, well, you screwed up and moving on. And what am I going to do to do better? And then also making sure that I'm maintaining a caring relationship with the person that I've harmed. And so for me, creating communities of care look like educators decentering themselves and centering the students and and when we talk about centering centering voices or centering anything, and this is where I've I've grown as a learner as well, we often think of, well, I'm going to give you the mic because I have it and so let me give it to you. But when we think about centering, we actually need to think about how we all deserve and have the right to have power. White, cisgender, straight males have it all the time just because of the way the system works, but we all deserve to have it and we all have it. Just it's the systems that are keeping other folks down, right? And so we need to shift our thinking about centering voices from, I'm going to give this space to you because I own it Mm. and you deserve it, Mm -hmm. as in, hey, we have this space Mm. collectively. I happen Mm. to be more privileged to take it up and I'm going to step aside. Mm -hmm. But it's not not this idea of I'm giving something to you because I have the power Mm -hmm. and now let me give you the sword and now you have it. Mm -hmm. It's that we're already here together. So yeah, that's been kind of a shift in, in what I've been thinking about lately in supporting teachers. Beautiful, there's actually three things that I heard inside of
1: that. And then I wanna ask a couple of follow-up questions about the last thing. One is actually, you said two sort of simple but huge things, I think. And, and that's that like, we can look up stuff on our own. Do you know what I mean? Like (laughs) you said it twice actually, right? So you said it uh, both when you heard the term genderqueer for the first time, you didn't ask the person saying it, hey, what's that mean? Can you school me on that right now, right? You were like, huh, I need to go look that up myself, right? I think that's really important that allies can can do for us, for any community that is having to do that education all the time, every day that they're living, is just Google it, read some articles, read some stuff on your own. Um, follow people on Twitter who can educate you, right? You can do that without putting that emotional labor on somebody Mm -hmm, else. mm -hmm. Um, The second thing you mentioned is just that internal move of saying, oh, right, I'm a part of the problem, and that I don't have to be bogged down in shame about that, but I can recognize and come to all of my interactions with people with that understanding, that like, I am a part of this, um, and to have that stance feels huge. And I
0: also like how, you know, I think sometimes when when we do talk about this group of marginalized folks, we do focus on like the pain,
2: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. the hardest mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm.
0: Um, the moment that you're rejected by people who raised mm-hmm, you. Right, mm-hmm. that that pain is at the center of our stories, and um, you know, you remind us to say that there are so many gifts mm-hmm. and a- mm-hmm. assets and and moments of beauty that we could shift the focus to for this community because that is only a slice of what these mm-hmm. educators and and children and their families can offer it's it's more than just That's the right. darkest pain story that yeah. accompanies their story
2: exactly so it's thank it's you for that it's a piece of it yeah. yeah but my life's pretty awesome right. there are other things that like let's celebrate right <laughs> yeah. let's focus yep. on that because yeah. i'm already in my trauma yeah. all the yeah, time yeah, yeah, it's yeah. always yep. that narrative yep. for me yep. and other people aren't privileged to knowing that. Some people that's are, are. Mm-hmm. but we often ask that's our right. students, tell me your pain, yep. Yeah, yeah, tell yeah. me about yeah. this because that's healing for you. Well, it's actually not all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is like in my journal and I don't wanna share it with anybody mm-hmm. or with my friends. But yeah, I think celebrating the assets and celebrating the things that we mm-hmm. bring without ignoring yep. that we are resilient in this way because yeah, of yeah, our yeah. pain and because of our trauma.
1: And that feels like one way to start to create those communities of care and healing the other thing you mentioned is the decentering and, and I want to poke at that a little bit for people like me who might have a unit that I have to teach, right? I'm thinking about, okay, I've got to cover this material and teach this stuff. How would I start thinking about decentering myself in an authentic way that's not handing the mic to the kids mm-hmm. or being like, what do you all want to study? But what are some ways that a teacher who feels some pressure with curriculum demands, etc., could begin to think about decentering themselves?
2: Well I think it is still asking the students what do you need and what do you want out of this. I am a big proponent of co-creating the mm-hmm. curriculum and the units with students. I think they can do that young. I think they can do that in kindergarten. I've mm-hmm. seen it happen. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is a really important piece. I think also when we when we want to when we try to decenter, we ultimately end up being the center because we're so worried about if <laughs> right. we're decentering right. ourselves to right. Look right. at me the decentering right myself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Once again. The yeah. like spotlight yeah. is spotlight. yeah. Yeah, exactly. the spotlight's just yeah. like centered. Yeah. So I think that too, just kind of letting go and being humble. Like, okay, having some yeah. humility and saying, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. And that's okay. Just trusting. Right. We don't trust our students no. enough. You're gonna learn what you need to learn mm-hmm. if I'm there guiding you and mentoring you and you're going to teach me some things. And so I think letting go of that control Mm -hmm. can be difficult as well, but I think it's necessary. So I think that's something Mm -hmm. teachers can do.
0: One thing that I've always admired about you is how um, I just, I can go to your social media feeds. I can go out and have a cup of coffee with you. And um, I'm always impressed with um, not only how current your research and knowledges on issues like this, but also uh, the leadership and advocacy work that you do. And um, if someone were new to, to approaching kind of like supporting this topic or starting to, to peek in and, and begin their journey of learning, are there any resources or guides that you would point them mm-hmm. to as a good first step? Because I basically want to just be like talk to Dana. <laughs> <laughs> <Dana's got
2: it. laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, there are people out there doing better work um, that I I think we can lean on. Um, so I have a couple of folks that I have on my trusty list here. Mm-hmm. So really accessible support is Barker and Shields. I don't know if I'm saying the last name right. It's called Queer, A Graphic History. And I Mm -hmm. think one of the first things if you wanna learn about the LGBTQ community is to learn about our history and learn about our stories, Mm -hmm. learn about what makes us who we are, uh, our ancestors in that way. And I think that's a really great accessible, maybe sometimes heady place to start. My only, and I should say this, most of the authors of this work are white, right? And so these these two folks are white appearing. Mm -hmm. um, And so I just wanna mention that, Mm -hmm. that there's not a Mm -hmm. lot of, stuff out there written by people of color um uh, or indigenous or just want to recognize that another not even just the not texts but authors that i think we can learn a lot from that aren't necessarily doing things specifically on lgbtq but are mm-hmm. doing stuff on advocacy and mm-hmm. social justice Great. my go-to is mm-hmm. bell hooks always cara page also is doing a lot of has worked on healing justice and fantastic alexis pauline gums mm-hmm. is doing a lot of fantastic work on mothering and community work and then also, Bettina Love mm. is doing fantastic work on hip hop and civics ed. Uh, so, I think those are great folks to lean into. A heady academic book <laughs> that I have to to you must. mention, yeah, because that's me. is a book called Assuming a Body, and it's by Gail Solomon. And uh, they talk quite a bit about gender identity. And that's where I've started to understand my trans identity yeah. a little bit more. Uh, that's probably my favorite book. Uh, but again, it's academic, heady. Heavy book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some organizations that I think are leading this work are the Kindred Southern Healing Justice Collective and then SONG, which is Southerners on New Ground. I think they're heading up some really fantastic work that we can all learn a lot from. And then just uh, before we move on, we talked
1: about decentering ourselves as a way to create those healing, caring communities. Are there other things that you think, like other ingredients to that process mm. of like, so I'm beginning to decenter myself? I want to create a more healing and caring community for my kids. What else can I do?
2: Yeah, so I'm actually going to reference a uh, blog that I just wrote for Yay. the <laughs> for CEL. Oh, great. Yeah. It's called Leading with Solidarity, Centering Trans and Non-Binary Voices. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot bigger work than... What I could fit in this blog, and I already went over the the word count. But <laughs> there are five things that I talk about there, and I'll just mention them really quickly, and then you can it. access the Good blog form. for the details. The first one, acknowledge that cis sis, I can't even say that ever. Cis sexism <laughs> happens every single day in every single space. Number two, be an educated accomplice and educate others. Number mm-hmm. three, be aware of, equalize, and leverage, leverage power. Mm-hmm. Number four, remember your why. And number five, mm-hmm. intentionally create space that fosters solidarity.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Remember your why. There's this irony. I don't know if that's the right word, and I'm an English teacher, so I might be totally <laughs> screwing that up. <laughs> Let's say a juxtaposition or a contrast, maybe <laughs> even between like the idea of I have to decenter myself, but sometimes to decenter myself, I have to actually go inward first, mm-hmm. right? Like. It's not enough just to bluster onto the stage of the classroom and try to decenter my voice. I have to actually get in touch with what I believe, what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, why it matters, so that it comes from a, a real place uh, as opposed to sort of where I can fall into the trap of wanting to do the right thing, but then it becomes kind of performative, right? right. I'm acting it, the part. And it's hard work, right? It is Once hard Once it work.
2: starts getting hard, yep. just sit in the fire. right? Just take a breath and sit in the fire and realize that if it's hard, you're probably moving in a good direction. Mm -hmm. So don't quit. Mm -hmm.
1: I love that. Yeah, the discomfort is hard to sit
2: with. And as a person
1: with privilege, it's easy for me to want to get out of that discomfort as quickly as humanly possible. But the idea of like, actually, my job is to sit with it a little bit and be uncomfortable. I think it's been um, important to make space for
0: your work your identity as gender nonconforming, trans and i think about the youngest children in my life mm-hmm. um, and uh, the younger students that i teach and sometimes it's our gender expression that we perform first before we ever identify you know, sexuality. And so I was wondering for um, people who um, work with younger children or children who are experimenting with, you know, dressing uh, Mm -hmm. their identities Mm -hmm. and performing their genders, do you have any words or thoughts to support some of our youngest kids that are exploring that?
2: I say, let them do it. Mm -hmm. They know, right? Like when I was Mm -hmm. four, I mm-hmm. knew. I mean, I was running around in my brother's underwear that I had, like, <laughs> you know, I had a big old pin so they would fit and I didn't have a shirt on <laughs> right. and was like, I just I can remember that moment, like running through the sunshine and the grass mm-hmm. in the summertime, thinking this is me, this is who I am. And then and when I went into kindergarten, I had to yeah. start wearing girls clothes because I couldn't dress like that. And so let them and trust them because they know they already know the only reason they don't think they know and you don't think they know is because society is telling them otherwise so Mm. just let them they're going to be okay they're actually probably going to be worse off if you don't let them do what they want to do with their gender expression right well, and you don't know the
1: end of that story as an adult. Do you know what I mean? Like, exactly. It, it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean one thing or another. It's an experimentation, a performance, it's a trying weird. on. Yeah. And it, you don't know the end of the story. But if that is the end of the story, that that kid is non-binary or trans boy, do they need all the love and support as humanly yeah. possible. And who so cares? It, that's right. right. Who cares?
2: Ooh, yeah, if, if, if who cares what the end of that story is? <laughs> that's if right. it's a good one, it's, it's a happy that's one. That's, right. good, that's one, what we yes. want, but healthy we can't and dictate that. A caring community is what we want mm-hmm. at yes. the end of that road. Yes, <laughs> yes.
0: absolutely. So speaking of mm-hmm. being happy with your story, <laughs> there are five questions <laughs> that we do like to ask each and every guest. Mm-hmm. That just is a window into <laughs> <laughs> them. Are you ready for your first question? Yes. Okay. Hit
2: me. Mm-hmm. First
0: question. Um, what is one thing we won't see you without?
2: My heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I speak passionately, and I know that can be off-putting to some people. Um, I speak compassionately. Um, I really believe in what I believe in and stand pretty strong in that. So you're always going to see me with my heart kind of on my sleeve and out there and I love it. I wouldn't want to be any other way. I feel the same. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: what is your favorite article of clothing?
2: I don't really like clothes. I like to be naked
1: a lot. No, I'm just, I'm
2: just <laughs> There's your window. Heart on your sleeve, and the sleeve has no clothes. Actually, not sleeve, heart no on arm. <laughs> yes.
1: naked
2: arm. Yeah. Yeah. Shoes are my favorite. Oh. I don't really have great ones on today but shoes yes I ones. do. none of you can see it. so yes I do they're amazing. <laughs> I like a nice button down too a nice mm-hmm. crisp button mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. as well but definitely shoes That's are my. Nice.
1: I'm starting to embrace shoes. I feel like I always have had like the same pair forever, but I'm starting
2: to branch out a little bit. Yeah, I go to the little boys section. Yeah, I need some help. I might um, need
1: after the podcast. Yeah, we can talk about it. And they're real helpful.
2: awkward because mm-hmm. sometimes they velcro instead of actually latch.
1: Like, <laughs> that men would help me actually. That yeah, would save it's some real nice. steps in my day. It's real I would love nice. to have some yes. velcro yes. shoes. Velcro yes. everything, just like rip the whole thing off velcro. Yes, yes. going back to nudity. especially yeah. with my nakedness, <laughs> be like, I'm home.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it all comes back
1: to. Nudity. I a whole line of clothes <laughs> being uh,
2: imagined
1: here on Beyond the Letters. Uh, yes. Quick nude brand clothing. <laughs> yes. One clear. and you're yeah. naked. Yeah. That's our sponsor here at <laughs> Beyond the Letters. Okay. You wow, please go. move on to the <laughs> next Let's question. Go Let's go. go. So who
0: knows? Um... What was your first concert mm. Mm,
2: new kids on the block oh man yes. that's awesome yes. that's a good one. fourth grade yes. favorite new
1: kid at the time
2: oh jordan knight yes. oh, i thought he was staring yeah. at me mm-hmm. thought i wanted him to be staring at me but i didn't yeah. he was wanted though yeah the like, yeah, yeah. yeah who or did you have a first queer icon? I did. It was actually Ellen before she was Ellen when she was These Friends of Mine that show started that way and then it was the Ellen DeGeneres show and like I did not or the Ellen show I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I just watched it and loved her and didn't know why and then when she came out I sobbed and also didn't know why. (laughs) Like why (laughs) Why am I crying? Why Why am I I crying for this? And Now I know. Now you know. Um, But yeah. People used to tell me when I was younger all the time that I reminded them of her. Mm. People tell me that now and I'm like no it's just because I'm the only gay person you've ever met and really. Life. Hair. Yep. Yep.
1: Yes.
2: <laughs> Do you have a current queer icon? Um. I. I would say all kids today who are I, out and proud. I just am in awe of the things that our younger generation is embracing and coming up with and creating space for. So I think all of that. Those. Anyone that I meet on the street that's younger mm-hmm. than me, I think, is an icon. Mm-hmm.
1: It's so wonderful to know that we all have so much more to learn, right? And that the young people will teach us. Yes, they will. They yes. <laughs> will teach us.
0: Uh, to say it was pleasant to sit with you and talk <laughs> with you is an understatement. I've been looking forward mm-hmm. to this interview um, since the moment that this podcast was conceptualized. I appreciate that. So thank you so much for bringing yeah, for having your me. whole self and your heart uh, to this interview. And I'm uh, I'm excited to, to continue the conversation as we shut off our microphones here. Great. day. Okay. Thanks, y'all. Thanks. Thank you.
1: Beyond the Letters is a production of Heinemann Publishing and the Heinemann Podcast. To learn more about our guest this week, visit
0: blog.heinemann.com.